Welcome to all of you who've come this morning to worship the Lord. Glad to have you here. If you are a guest among us, we're glad to have you here. Hope that you will feel uh, very much a part of what we're doing, and, and we also hope that you will want to come back on many future occasions to worship with us. A word for our children, a reminder that the uh, Sunday night educational program has ended, uh, ended last week, but the choirs are continuing to meet as they get ready for a May 9th uh, uh, choral presentation. So um, that is from 5.30 to 6.15. The children will be rehearsing tonight. Uh, we want to thank uh, Joy Hudson for all her work with the children and, um, and the party that was held last weekend and also with the Memorial Kids and Mission work that has been done to involve our children in various mission activities. Um, the kids learned a lot about serving others and they ended by making um, for the Lord's table at our early service uh, a covering with their handprints on it. So that will be a treasure uh, for, for many, many years to come. Um, we had a couple of little Methodists born on Friday. Uh, Nora Kate Henson, uh, daughter of uh, John and Katie Henson, uh, made the arrival first in the day. And later on, uh, Cale McCaslin Davis, uh, son of, of Cindy uh, and, and Kyle Davis, who come to this service, uh, made uh, his appearance as well. So we're rejoicing with these two little births and uh, celebrate with their families and, and uh, grandparents as well. Don Lewis will be coming now to make an announcement. And uh, as he does, I'll remind you of announcements in the bulletin. There, there's a benefit luncheon for CenterQuest coming up in uh, about 10 days. Please read that announcement. Hey, what a beautiful day, huh? <laughs> and I've got a great way for you to send, spend some, an hour this Sunday afternoon. And that is come out and take a walk through downtown. That would be the hunger walk, the rescheduled hunger walk from November that was rained out that is named in honor of Merle State, longtime member here. Merle's going to come out and ride the golf cart if he's up to it. And I hope that you will all consider that as an opportunity for this <laughs> afternoon. And dogs and strollers are welcome. In these difficult economic times, you'll be called on a lot to make um, donations to some wonderful causes and I hope you won't get tired of hearing about them because uh, God has still blessed us tremendously um, most of us are doing okay during these difficult days uh, the, the income to these various charities is down while the need has gone up and so uh, that's one of the reasons we're doing the, the walk today that Don is talking about and You'll be hearing about Andy and the youth mission trip in a little while as well. <clears throat> I want to call your attention. They've asked me to say a few words today um, about the Relay for Life program uh, coming up this next weekend. His weekend, Hope, Inspiration, and Salvation. Um, let me first start off by <clears throat> saying that part of the reason we're having this weekend event is to raise money. Uh, to help in the research uh, to find a cure for cancer. A few years ago, uh, my sister, along with her preacher husband, moved to South Carolina, uh, to where he is a United Methodist pastor. The doctors had been watching a place with my sister for several years, assuring her that they didn't think it was a problem, and the new doctors in South Carolina said the same thing. That uh, probably is not a problem. Well, you had to know my mother. Uh, gentle as a lamb, except when one of her children's lives might be at stake, and then she was uh, uh, quite the lion, <clears throat> lioness, I guess. She, uh, she asked my sister to get a second opinion, and this time it was the second opinion with the biopsy said that it was cancer, uh, breast cancer. So we sized up the situation very quickly uh, four children in that home, 
uh, the oldest uh, about to enter high school, the youngest being a special education child uh, still in elementary school age. My mother realizing that uh, this could mean some very serious things we all think about when we hear that word cancer. Uh, but my sister had the surgery and she said, whatever gives me the best possible chance of survival is what I want. So they did the radical mastectomy and a year later followed that with more surgery um, to, for hysterectomy and reconstructive surgery. Um, five years after that, she was on chemotherapy medications. Now the good news is this, that's been almost 20 years ago. Uh, she has been cancer free ever since. So we are making progress in the fight against cancer. And we celebrate that. And that's what uh, Relay for Life is all about. Making that day come about where everybody can say, I'm a survivor. I had cancer, but I beat it with the help of the good Lord and with the help of the science and medicine that he created. I am a survivor. We also, as a part of this coming weekend, it's not simply going to be about uh, uh, cancer survival. It's going to be about God's presence with us during our struggles. There is a Friday night program with um, uh, Coach Ayers from Walford and Dale Evans from Dorman talking about God's presence during struggle. The praise band will be uh, leading the music in our Family Life Center. On Saturday night, um, Jason Crabb will be here in concert. And on Sunday morning, at what time? Thank you, 10 o'clock next week. Uh, one service with my friend Dr. Jim Nates here as the speaker. This coming weekend is kind of left in your hands as to what kind of week it's how, uh, what kind of weekend it's going to be. It is an opportunity for you and people that you know to draw closer to Christ uh, if we can get them here. So if you'll invite people to be here for the various parts of the weekend, perhaps you know someone who would respond better to the inspiration of singing than they do to preaching. Well, they ought to be here on Saturday night to hear um, Jason Crabb sing. So let's make this weekend what we will make out of it by putting our own energies and our own prayers into what is coming and that God is giving to us for this weekend. And we thank the committee that has been working so diligently to bring this about. Let us now worship God.
Confession of Faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Amy Kynard for a few moments of sheer. Good morning. How many of you have noticed that people are sneezing a lot right now? Have you had problems with that? You have? Um, what happens? What do people say when we sneeze? They say, bless you. And I'm going to count to three. Yes, ma'am. She gives you popsicles when you're at home playing. Keep that thought because I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. Okay, I'm going to count to three and I want us to fake sneeze and see what all these people say to us when we do that. Audience participation, please. Ready? One, two, three. Achoo! Okay, I heard Gesundheit. I heard God bless you. Those, both of those mean the same thing. And our psalm today in the Bible is about how God blesses us. And I am truly blessed because I have a computer at home that can print the page bigger so I can read it. That's what this is. Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now who can tell me a way that you are blessed? You just told me one. What does mommy bless you with? She blesses you with her elbow. Does she hug you with her elbow? Does she wrap her arm around and hug you? Okay, she blesses you with her elbow. Who else knows something that God blesses us with? Yes. Our house. Our house. Who else? How are you blessed? Food. Stores. Stores, yes. Well, I'm going to show you something this morning that helps you to remember how God blesses us. I'm going to do some paper cutting. You know how I get. Can you hold that for me? With this piece of paper, I'm going to cut it and make what looks like a seed. Now, what comes from the seeds? When we plant the seeds, what happens? It grows, and what pretty thing comes from it? Flowers and trees. Okay, so after the seed is planted, then something has to fall down from the sky. The rain, so that's another blessing. The rain falls down from the sky, and then we get to have our harvest. But first, we know that God shows us love. We have our heart, and then we have the flower. And from the flower, we get the fruit that becomes our harvest. 
So this morning I'm going to give you a little paper that's folded up already and already cut out for you to remember God's blessings upon us. Let us pray, please. Heavenly Father, help us to remember and acknowledge how you bless us every day in every way. And thank you for these children, and thank you for this congregation that blesses me every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I tell you, I've been sneezing a lot. I think I'm going to go by Sarah's to get a popsicle. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's good. Uh, uh, I kept thinking at the early service today, uh, who was that new youth we picked up? And I realize now it's uh, Amy Knapp, uh, Bailey's mother, <clears throat> who's going on the mission trip. Yeah, well, another one of the youth, right? Um, our responsive reading is uh, Psalm 67, which is on page 791. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. O oh God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples directly and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth is yielded and increased. God our God has blessed us. God has blessed us.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for this beautiful day, for the springtime and the return of life to plants that have looked dead for months, for the warmth and a time following a lot of cold that has been a part of our lives. So we're so grateful and even, even our weathermen tell us that the air is teeming with life as we have an overabundance of pollen this year. And though we sneeze, we give you thanks for the blessings of life and for the abundance which is ours. We're thankful, Lord, that you created this world with plenty of resources for all of your created family. We pray that you would help us to be those who are busy not just gathering for ourselves, but sharing what we have gathered and received with all those around us. We do pray for our troubled world with so many flashpoints that could explode up in war and strife at any time. We remember the vision that Jesus had, the one we call the Prince of Peace, of a world where people cooperate together, where people love one another, even those that we may today call an enemy. You've told us to pray for them and to love them and to go the extra mile for them. So we pray for the opportunities that are ours to share the unique Christian actions that Jesus has told us about as we spread his love through the world. We celebrate, Lord, that love is the most powerful force on our planet and that it can overcome the deepest hurts, the deepest wounds, and the hard, hardest of hearts. We especially pray this day for upcoming events that our church will be involved in. We pray your blessings upon his weekend, that it will be an opportunity for people to grow spiritually and to be encouraged by hope, inspiration, and your saving presence with us in life. And we also lift up to you, Lord, our youth mission team and the trip that they have planned for this summer to a different culture than our own, nevertheless to people that are, are our brothers and sisters. We pray that you would help us as we would go in the name of our risen Lord to share your love with your dear children in another place in this country. We remember, Lord, our friends in times of special need. We remember today those who are adjusting to the loss of loved ones. We remember those who are searching for work. We remember the homeless and the hungry. And we remember, O oh Lord, those who are lost and lonely, not even aware of what they're looking for, and yet they are looking for you and your love. We pray, O oh God, that they would find you in these days to come. For we pray in Jesus' name as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Good morning. Today's scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, and can be found on page 1723 in your pew Bibles if you wish to join along. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, And we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are, in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such arrogance, I'm sorry, such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The word of God for the people of God. Today is Native American Sunday in the United Methodist Church. Two years ago, myself and Stephen Kinnett, Alex Guest, and a couple of others had the privilege of serving our Lord and this church on two Indian reservations in South Dakota. Now, we knew to expect a very different culture. It was going to be a very vibrant culture, and we found out a very welcoming culture, but it was very different from our own. And this morning, I want to share with you a little bit of my experience because it had a profound effect on me, this trip did, and especially on the way that I view missions. But first, I need to go over with you a little bit of background history on Native Americans and their relationships with European Americans. Um, In the 1700s, the first European Americans to encounter Native uh, peoples that we really have any kind of record on are the French or Jesuits who were missionaries who came across. And they came with a fire and brimstone message. And they believed that everything that the Native Americans did, all their traditions and ceremonies were evil and pagan and must be done away with in order for these people to become Christians. The phrase was coined, kill the Indian, save the man. And so they sought to really eradicate all of the ceremony and these people's culture and heritage out of their lives so that they might call on the name of our Lord. And it's really sad, but... um, That's just the governing missionary philosophy. Uh, It wasn't long after that that government and military came to uh, strike up treaties with the Native Americans. And 
our treaties with them were less than honorable. For a while, we gave them portions of their land, large portions for them to continue their lifestyle and continue their traditions and ceremonies and their culture and keep it alive. But in the 1860s, Custer found gold in the Black Hills, which is in the heart of the Lakota Sioux Nation, which is where we went two years ago. Um, and the United States nullified their treaty, took the land back, and mined for gold there until 2004. Another thing that the missionaries brought with them to the Indians was the idea of boarding schools, where they would take the young children from the tribes and they would put them in these schools and remove them from their ceremonial background. Many of the educators and administrators would give them chemical baths to wash the red out of their skin. They would forbid them from speaking in their native language, from wearing any kind of traditional clothing or jewelry. And they really just removed them. And this is all a result of the kill the Indian, save the man kind of missionary philosophy. And they basically kidnapped these children with the promise that one day they would return and that they would be mediators between the white man's culture and the Native American culture. But that didn't exactly happen. Many of these who returned to their tribes were rejected. They weren't accepted, and most of them were treated as traitors. Another thing that uh, white men brought to the Native Americans was fire water or alcohol. Now, whereas Europeans had well over a thousand years of genetics and tolerance built up against alcohol, this was brand new to the Native Americans. And so alcoholism quickly became a very big problem amongst Native Americans. And it's still a huge problem today because relatively speaking, they've, that race of people has only been consuming alcohol for roughly 300 years. Whereas Europeans and others have been consuming it for thousands of years. Uh, white men also brought with them diseases that the Native Americans and the Native peoples had no immunities or no antibodies built up for. And so tens of thousands died as a result of diseases such as smallpox and others. And so this is the current situation that we have. A group of people that are left in poverty and there's an overwhelming sense of hopelessness amongst many Native American people and, and on their reservations. And two years ago, we visited two reservations. The Rosebud Reservation is where we spent the majority of our time and the Pine Ridge Reservation. The Pine Ridge Reservation is in the poorest county in the nation. The Rosebud Reservation is in the fifth poorest county in the nation. So there's overwhelming poverty in this area of the nation. Um, and we got to see some of that firsthand. We also collected periodicals while we were out there. And we did some research before we went. And in the year leading up to our trip, which I guess would have been part of 2007 and 2008, um, there was a six-month stretch where on the Rosebud Reservation, there was an average of 24 suicides a month. And the 80% of those were between the ages of 20 and 30. That's a lot of young people taking their own lives. And so there's this overwhelming sense of hopelessness that's out there. And so that's what we walked into. Now, I wish that I could tell you that things had changed as far as miss missionary perspectives go. But I can't. The other groups that we were out there amongst and the camp we were with, including the staff, seem to still be living by the old principles. It's not as overt or aggressive as it once was, but there's still the idea that these people must somehow become changed or civilized before they can accept Christ. It's still the governing missionary philosophy. And we went out there to experience the native culture. And I have never been more proud to be a United Methodist than I was on this trip. Because our slogan is open hearts, open minds, and open doors. And that means that we respect anybody else's ideas. We respect other people for who they are. And we respect other cultures. Now that doesn't mean that we say that everything is right. But it does mean that we are very slow to say that something else, something different, 
is wrong until we get to know the people that are involved. And so I've never been more proud to be a United Methodist than I was two years ago on this trip. And I wish that the other groups had had a more open mind about what they were seeing and, and the opportunities that they were presented with, but they did not. We went out there to, like I said, experience the native culture, whereas the other groups did not do that. And when presented with the opportunity to experience the native culture, they refused. Our camp got invited several times during the week to attend community ceremonies and traditional ceremonies. And we were time after time met with, no, we're not going to do that from the staff and the leaders of the other group. Or I, we're not sure how the kids would react to seeing something like that. And so we very quickly realized that if we were going to really reach out into this community and really have an impact and really, um, I guess, leave a mark, we were going to have to do it on our own time. So we spent much of our free time while, while the other groups were back at the church where we stayed at playing Yahtzee and other games. We spent most of our time out amongst the people where they were, where they were buying their groceries and where they were congregating, and we spent time meeting and mingling and talking with them and getting to know them. And so we befriended a lot of them and got our own little group invited to little ceremonies here and there throughout the week. And we went as a group and participated in that, and it was just a wonderful experience. And I was very proud of, of our group and how open-minded we were and how we wanted to experience more. And we wanted to see more. But I was astonished at how the other groups had no desire to even give the native culture a chance or to e even enter entertain the idea that somehow this might be something that's special um, for everyone to participate in. As we read in our scripture today, which the scripture that I chose for today is something that kept popping up in my mind while I was out there. Because Paul was known for his ability to find the common ground when he dealt with Gentiles or when he was on his missionary journeys. And he was quite good at this, becoming all things to all men that some might be saved. And as we read in the story, he found the common ground when he was in Athens. The altar to the unknown God and what the poets in Athens had already been writing about. He used those things as a starting point. He respected them. He didn't say what they were saying was right, but he respected them and respected what they were doing and that they were spiritual people. And then he simply told them what he believed. And sure, some people laughed. They jeered and they sneered. But some people also believed. And others said, you know what, I want to hear more. Will you speak to us again on this subject? And so from a missionary perspective, that's a positive result. That's the way that things should be. Now, while we were out there in South Dakota, we were invited to something called a Sundance. And the other leaders and the, you know, the, uh, the staff of the camp we were at and everybody quickly denounced it as evil and pagan. And we were told there would be evil spirits all around um, and that we would have to have special prayer and anointing before we went out to it if we were to do it. And, Basically, that it just couldn't be reconciled with Christianity or Christian ideals. You just couldn't do it. And so the camp decided not to go to this very special ceremony. That we, and it was really an honor that we got invited. Uh, but our little group loves evil spirits. So we decided we would just <laughs> go on to this on our own. No, we don't actually love evil spirits. But we wanted to go see what it was about. What, what was all the fuss about? Why were people so against this? People who never even experienced it. Why, why were they so against it? So we went and we found that it was a very different ceremony, but a very beautiful ceremony. We were welcomed there. It was not at all intimidating. We weren't frightened. We never feared for our lives or felt like we were going to be possessed or... Nobody was blowing smoke all over us necessarily or anything like that. I mean, it was, it was not what it had been, uh, we had been told it was going to be like. Um, we, we were not scared at all, and, and it really was an experience that I think those who went will never forget. Um, we had an opportunity uh, to meet with the fire keepers who were very knowledgeable about all that was going on, and they answered all of our questions. 
they gave us, a, you know, we were given a blanket to sit on as we watched and participated in some parts of this. And it was just an amazing experience where there was community and union and we were seeing it all around us. Now, to give you a little bit of an idea of what the sun dance is like, there are sun dancers and they dance around a tree that has been stripped of its bark uh, except for the top branches and it's erected in the center of this arbor or circle and the sun dancers dance around it. Now the interesting part is that they take pieces of bone and pierce their upper chests, two pieces, and then tie a tether from that to the top of the tree. I know, that's interesting. It's not exactly, you know, what we're used to. Um, and then they would dance for hours, pulling this tether taut until it popped through the flesh. Yes, I know, yet again, not exactly the way we do things. <laughs> but when you think about it, if you look back over the history of Christianity, there have certainly been times when forms of self-mutilation were accepted as expressions of our faith. So we tried to keep an open mind about the bones and the flesh type of thing. Um, because that really wasn't the most important part. The most important part was the commitment that these sun dancers had to what they were doing. A sun dancer must commit to dance four times a year for four years. During that four-year span, we learned that they give up alcohol, drugs, stealing, cheating, lying, thinking bad thoughts about other people. They pledge themselves to give away as much as they possibly can and to live off as little as they possibly can. And so it's a real sacrifice for them. Trying to find the common ground, I likened it to an extended period of Lent where they're really examining who they are and what their lives are all about and what the purpose is for their being in here and what their plan is on this earth. And so... It's a real sacrifice for them. They would dance every time, each time, for a different thing, usually. Some danced for healing for themselves or for a brother or sister. Some danced for relatives in crisis. Some danced for the community. Some would dance in mourning of a loved one who'd passed on. Some would dance in thanksgiving and praise. They danced. And the cool thing was is that they were not alone. As they were tethered to this tree dancing... They were surrounded by a very large group of family and friends who were dancing alongside them. And the, the drums are playing, and the traditional songs are being sung, and it's just an amazing thing to see all the support that was out there with them. And one of the most beautiful things is that they would alternate the dancers between dancing with the, the tether pulled tight, and then they would go up to the tree and kneel down and pray. And one by one, their supporters would come up and place their hands on their shoulders and pray with them while they were at the tree. And so it was, an, at least in, for me, I just got this overwhelming sense of community and union and love amongst all these people. They really loved one another. And I don't understand how anybody could look at that, anybody who had actually seen it, could say that that's evil. You know, I kept thinking from the drums beating to the peace, popes, peace pipe smoking, which um, that was something that they were doing as well, passing it around the circle. From those things, everything could really be redeemed for the glory of God. It really could. It's different, but I kept seeing the little things that people would do in the, in, as they were in the, entering the inner circle. and the thing. It was a lot like this sanctuary. Not in the ornate style of it, but the way it was treated as something sacred and holy, the way they did things, um, it's just different. And I think that's what people fear is the differences. And so, you know, everything that we saw could be redeemed for the glory of God. Um, I think where we make a mistake sometimes as, as Christians and as, as missionaries too is that we want to choose what facets of another culture can and can't be redeemed. And that's really not our place, and it really presents us as being kind of arrogant to say that God can't or can use this and that. Um, but anyway, Stephen and I were invited by the medicine man to enter the inner circle and to go up and kneel down at this tree that's been erected in the middle and pray. And we were led by a massive Native American man, and it was a little intimidating at first. He was a very large person. And... 
when he opened his mouth, it was completely unexpected because he was very soft-spoken. And he instructed us on what we were to do and how to do it and where we would be going and how things would, you know, how we would do things. And so we were very comfortable. We knew, you know, what, we, what was going to happen and what we were expected to do. And he led us up to this tree. And as we knelt down to pray, the last thing he said to us was, pray for us. Pray for my people. And so Stephen and I spent a lot of time kneeling down at a tree in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. And we prayed. And I couldn't help but sit there and think about the fact that my Savior died upon a tree. And here we are kneeling and praying to our God at a tree that these people hold sacred. And I just couldn't help but think that there's a connection there. That Christ could even redeem this part of it. That this sacred tree could somehow be traded out for the sacred tree that our Savior died upon. And so that is kind of our, our experience with it. Um, is that Christ could redeem every aspect of what we were seeing. And every aspect of that culture. And so my point is, is whether it's on the mission field or whether it's in your workplace. Whether it's with family or friends or people from other denominations or even people from other religions. We have to find the common ground first. Because so often we look for the differences and we look for what we can't reconcile with our way of thinking or our way of being. But if our goal is really to share the love of Jesus with other people, then we must find the common ground first. Because when we do that, those people will see that we respect them. And then they'll respect us. And in return, when we tell them about the love of Jesus and what Christ has done, they'll be open to it. And they'll listen to it. And then if the Spirit is really working in their lives, what's right and what's wrong about their culture or their life or their way of being will be worked out. That's the way Jesus has been working for 2,000 years. He'll redeem what needs to be redeemed and he'll weed out what, does, what doesn't need to belong anymore. That's just the way it works. Now, the mission team that's up here today, and this isn't all of us, but this is a good portion of those who are going. We have 20 members of our mission team that are going to Montana this summer, this July, to serve on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Their situation is not uh, all that unlike the Lakota Sioux who we visited a couple of years ago. And we consider it a privilege to have this opportunity to go and serve. And many of you have seen or, or the, the letters that were sent out to church members here and, and have the information on our mission team. And today we are asking for your continued support. If you have that letter at home, then put it on your desk. Or put it on your refrigerator and begin now to pray for each of our team members individually. Pray that we'll have open minds and open hearts. Pray that we'll easily find the common ground with the people we're trying to minister to. Go ahead and pray for the hearts of those we will encounter. That God would be working in their lives even now, well before we get there. We consider it an honor and we appreciate the opportunity to become an extension of this church and this congregation and the greater church of God and most of all of our Lord Jesus Christ sent out to find the common ground and share the love of Christ with all people. We as Methodists have open minds, open hearts and open doors and we need to seek the common ground. Because it's then that we'll respect other people, we can embrace other people, and allow the love of God and the grace that Jesus Christ has given us to do all the other work that needs to be done. Amen.